0: never seen a painting that captures the beauty of the ocean at a moment like this. There's a scene in the 1987 movie Wall Street where Michael Douglas, playing the character Gordon Gecko, is walking along a beach talking into a cell phone. It was memorable at the time because many of us had never seen someone using a cell phone, and it's memorable now... Because that phone, a Motorola Dynatac, is enormous. It weighed two and a half pounds. If you're listening to this podcast on an iPhone 11, your phone weighs less than seven ounces.
1: We had a really interesting project. Now, we're not going to talk
0: about cell phones this week. We're going to talk about chips and India and venture capital, of course. But let's start with those chips. The reason your cell phone doesn't weigh as much as a brick is because the circuitry inside of it has gotten much, much smaller. The transistors, about the width of a virus, now as narrow as 7 nanometers. Bunopati is one of the people
1: that made that possible. The view there was, I had committed some kind of a crime. At Harvard? Right? At Harvard.
0: Dr. Potty was an assistant professor at Harvard teaching electrical engineering when he started playing around with the idea of making chips very, very small through something called phase shift lithography. I'll explain more about that later. But at the time, his biggest worry was convincing Harvard to let him start a company.
1: So I went to the dean, and I said, uh, I'd like to take a brief leave of absence to set up this company, and I'm going to go hire somebody. He will run the company, and I'll come back after six months leave of absence. So ultimately, I I, I did leave, and I I still didn't have an answer. So I went back uh, uh, and started the company. And about a year later, I received a note that said, congratulations. We have approved your relief of absence. <laughs> uh, would you please come back and teach uh, this class next semester?
0: You said a germ of an idea, but you're being somewhat modest because phase shift lithography turns out to be this incredibly important development.
1: And that it was. So th- that was a re- <laughs> really interesting time because at the time, the leaders in semiconductors, the Intels and the Semitex and IBMs, had invested billions, tens of billions of dollars behind an alternative, uh, uh, which was x-ray lithography. And uh, this is the value of not knowing any better. Uh, I thought my idea was better. And so we went out and uh, said, all right, here's how you should make chips. I had never seen a fab at that time. I had no idea how chips were made. My background was in wireless communications. And they said, well, no, that sounds pretty silly. So nobody would fund the company. uh, And uh, we somehow managed to bootstrap it and and build it up in a dot-com world where all the attention was focused elsewhere. Well, as it turned out, that is how every chip in the world is made today. Uh, and so x-rays are gone. Uh, the, there is no mention of them anywhere. And that was something that was that that's a point of pride uh, to be able to change an industry like that. But it's also uh, a testament to how valuable it is to be naive, not knowing that something can't be done, that the forces are all working against you. No one wants to fund it. The customers don't want it. They believe in, they have an alternative. Why would you start this company?
0: The company Potty made, Numerical Technologies, went public and later sold to Synopsys for a quarter billion dollars in 2003, giving Potty the money he needed to become an angel investor and eventually join Centerview Capital and create Nexus Venture Partners. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Investing in India. Nexus would lead him back to one of his childhood homes. You yourself are not from India. You're from Maryland.
1: That is a, you know, the where you're from question should be an easy one to answer. It's not, Uh, not for me. So uh, yes, I was born in DC. My father uh, was a professor at the University of Maryland. I grew up uh, in school in India, in Europe, and um, I spent, I was in boarding school in India. I went to school in Switzerland. Uh, and we spent almost 20-plus summers in Italy three months a year. And that's one of the beauties of being a professor. You can move around and think about the ideas that you're germinating anywhere that there's a university and people to talk to. So we moved a lot um, from that perspective. And uh, India was... I was a boarding school there for about four years and then two more years with living with my grandmother. And uh, so prior to high school, uh, prior to college, I was uh, mostly in India.
0: What have you learned from living in Switzerland and Italy and India and America? Have I got them all? Uh,
1: Almost, but yes, that's close enough. That's the bulk of it. That's a lot.
0: What have you learned from all of those different places?
1: You know, I think that's one of the most more valuable uh, experiences and lessons that I have Uh, had the pleasure of uh, uh, of being uh, part of. At the end of the day, you know, we live in a global economy. Uh, We are, uh, you know, connected in so many different ways, yet our cultures tend to be different ways, means of doing business in different places, how the pace at which things move, how decisions are made, what's important, uh, culturally, all of these come into play when you are looking at things such as operating a company and selling in other countries or investing in other companies. Uh, Without that basic understanding, it doesn't work. And so Nexus was a and remains a very good example of that. It's a cross-border fund today. And uh, the understanding of what is important to entrepreneurs in India is critical to the success of a firm fund like Nexus. There was a brief period of time uh, when a number of Silicon Valley venture capitalists felt that they could parachute in to places like India and China and do deals and, and, and jump back on a plane and fly home. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. You have to understand and appreciate what that culture is and what's different there. And uh, that exposure that I had early on uh, helped me at least appreciate, not necessarily know what all of these cultures are, but appreciate that their differences are meaningful. And to be successful in any one of these places, you have to understand it.
0: You obviously have a big advantage having done much of your schooling in India, but is there a difference between an Indian American who is American and an Indian American who came from India and became an American are there different approaches to anything that I would not be aware of
1: you know it's it's uh, I would say yes um, and uh, you know, I spent a good part of my schooling in India, so probably I have a a meaningful amount of uh, overlap with someone who has come from India and gone to school here. I would say that there are a few things that people look at differently one, w- one is education in fact okay. uh, the value of education is I would say, heightened in a place like India, where it's appreciated almost at every level, regardless of your uh, background or means or uh, what your uh, family has been doing, that is instilled at a very, very, very early age there and is, uh, you know, is, is uh, valued at the highest level. I would say there are many other cultures where that is true. It's not necessarily the sole driving factor in the United States. In India, it is. So I think those differences eventually bubble up into how people work and how people uh, you know, build their companies or operate their funds. Uh, they do, it does make a difference.
0: You took a company from startup all the way through IPO all the way to acquisition. So you've seen the entire life cycle of a company. Uh, Is there one aspect of that life cycle that is more difficult than the other? Is there one aspect of that life cycle that is more rewarding than the other?
1: Absolutely. The part that's difficult, and I'm going to relate this in a moment and extend your question a bit uh, to what's going on today, is when you're just starting out, Right. the hardest thing is to, first of all, understand what you need to do to build a company, yeah. uh, but then also appreciate that you may not be in fashion today. Right? So starting a semiconductor company in the mid-90s was not a fashionable thing to do. Uh, it, there was no dot com at the end of that name. And at the, uh, at the time, it seemed like this incredible disadvantage that I had. Right? And so I did the best I could uh, to to bring some money into the company. And uh, then I surrounded myself, and we're so fortunate in this area to have people uh, who can help you uh, from a mentorship perspective. And I surrounded myself with people who could help me. And we built the company. Now, what was rewarding about it at the end, having done that and taken it to the point of a public offering, We had, uh, well, uh, to give you an idea, we had only raised about $8 million in venture capital. Uh, The lead venture capitalist uh, owned about 6% of the company. And at peak, the company had a $2 billion market cap. Well, that was quite rewarding. Uh, The second part of it, which uh, is probably the ultimate reward, and I would value this far above the financial reward, is the fact that we were able to, in fact, alter the course of an entire industry something as important as semiconductors. Uh, And if I want to point back and say, what was the most rewarding aspect of that? It is that fact. Uh, The most challenging, like I said, is figuring out how to do this when money is not abundant, you are not in fashion. uh, And here we are blessed uh, with the surroundings that we have, the people that we have uh, access to. Uh, That is a truly unique environment and culture to be in.
0: Can you explain to someone who is not a PhD in electrical engineering what phase shift lithography
1: is? Oh, absolutely. Go for it. So, fabricating chips involves a process called lithography. Lithography is effectively a photographic process where you take an image of the circuitry you'd like to fabricate, and you project it on a photosensitive material. And then you go through a development process and create your wires and your transistors and so on out of it. Now, when those features become very, very small, so small that they are indeed smaller than the wavelength of the light that's used to project the images, you get a very blurry image. And so what was x-ray about? Just lowering the wavelength so clean up the image a bit. We found that you could actually manipulate the light itself. And instead of simply adding light to the image, you could subtract light from the image, if that makes sense. So you can use phase shifting or shift the phase of the the, the light waves to quite literally subtract. And by doing so, you could make uh, your theoretical resolution of that feature is infinite. And which is why, you know, we're sitting here 20 years later. We're still making chips that way. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it has some legs.
0: Does what's the next major step forward? Is it quantum computing? Is it what's, what's the next thing where we'll say we had almost run out of the ability to do this, and then this came
1: out? I think we have pretty close to run out of our ability to do this today. And it's not that we cannot make smaller transistors. It is simply the, the issues that arise as you do that, such as power consumption, uh, become formidable. So an alternative paradigm for computing seems like a logical next step. And again, I'm not so close to quantum computing, uh, but that is certainly a promising technology and a promising paradigm to go forward.
0: Going forward for Potty, serving as CEO of InfoWorks, another company he helped create, perhaps taking that company public as he did numerical technologies. InfoWorks helps companies manage their data.
1: Companies that are born digital start out by laying a foundation to manage their data and have it accessible to do really interesting things, whether it's providing a better consumer experience, operating their business more efficiently, or improving the way they make decisions. Companies that did not start out that way have data, plenty of data, but they don't have the foundation on which they can build those capabilities to give you a better experience as a consumer through AI or machine learning or other techniques, uh, or improve their business processes, or make better decisions. They don't have the foundation. What do we do? we lay down that foundation for companies that have not had the benefit of being born digital so that they can gather their data, organize it, and make it available for whatever business purposes they need to grow and gain competitive advantage. Those companies that aren't born digital, do they know they need you? Absolutely. This is existential at this point, right? If you are a retailer trying to compete with Amazon, how do you do that? without harnessing your data. You cannot. If you are a, you know, a large institutional bank competing with the online banking efforts, and even folks like Capital One, how do you do that without harnessing that data? We as consumers have come to expect a very different experience from banking, from retail. How does that experience get delivered? It gets delivered by harnessing data and Using it.
0: Sandhill Road is produced and edited by Sean Myers and executive produced by Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.